Good morning, Amravati. Good morning, Vietnam. Good morning to all of our, our histories, our stories, our bodies, our minds. It's bright, frosty morning. Good morning. We can have the perception today's the last day, we're all going, it's all over. Or we can know that's a perception. Dhamma is timeless. Beginnings and endings don't genuinely have any impact on reality. Dhamma is a kaliko, timeless ever-present. It's free of the dimension of beginnings and endings, birth and death. So, what is there to come to an end? In this moment, there is no birth and death to be brought to an end. Beginnings and endings don't apply. Whether the body happens to be freshly born or breathing its last, what's that got to do with anything real? Whether this is technically the last day, first day, middle day, Whatever number we put on our age, whether we call ourselves healthy or sick, say, I'm well or I have a cold or I don't know what I am, it's this, isn't it? The present moment is exactly like this. It's always here, like the body, ever present, totally faithful present reality is always here to come back to, to wake up to. How could it go anywhere else? <coughs> and when we recollect this presence, <coughs> this pure, unborn, undying, timeless presence, might sound a bit dramatic to speak in those terms, Unborn, undying. But it's also totally normal, isn't it? Completely and utterly ordinary. The Thai word for ordinary is tamada. Tamada. And that comes from the Pali, dhammata, meaning of the nature of dhamma. So right there in the word is the clue. Hidden in the ordinary is the Dhamma. This utterly ordinary moment is Dhammata of the nature of fundamental ultimate reality. The Dhamma is always here. <coughs> 
It just requires us to remember it. If we want to be free, if we want to be peaceful, fulfilled. So the challenge as our life patterns unfold is to remember that ever-present stillness, spaciousness. The silence within which all sounds take shape. The space within which all, all forms collect and, <coughs> and move. When the uh, teachings say Nibbāna is the cessation of becoming, doesn't mean we stop in our tracks, we park our car in the middle of the M25, we freeze at the breakfast table with our family all around us, stop in the middle of the pavement. The cessation of becoming is to wake up to that which was never born in the first place to help the mind to disentangle from the born and the dying, the becoming. So it's not that we generally, genuinely were becoming something and then we stopped it, but rather waking up to that <coughs> which is at the very heart of our own nature, which is already unborn, undying, limitless. at the heart of our being, yet completely non-personal. It's not female, it's not male, it's not old or young, tall or short. It has no boundaries. And when we wake up to that presence, there's a peacefulness, a clarity, the stillness that goes with the flowing of the water. If we remember the stillness, then we're much more at ease with the flowing. We can let the world flow, let our life flow. Success and failure, gain and loss, health and sickness, being approved, being disapproved, praise and criticism, we can let it flow. Being understood, being misunderstood. Being appreciated, being misrepresented. The heart can let it flow. Attuned to it, knowing it, participating in it, but unentangled, unconfused unlimited what does the dawn know of the clock's marching minutes nature is like this we put the numbers on it say 616 May the 15th 2016 humans create the numbers but 
reality is, it's this. This dawn, this sunrise, this frosty morning. So that disentangling is not a numbing, it's not a rejection, it's an attunement, a perfect attunement. The heart completely with the present reality, but unbound, unlimited by it not identified with it, not pushing away one element and holding on to another, but attuned to the whole thing. And through that attunement, then able to speak, not speak, to move, not move, to be brave, to be quiet, to help, to leave alone. When we start to talk, make choices, then it seems like that world of stillness, spaciousness, inner silence is lost. But why should it be? We're putting on a mask of our own personality, me doing something, me going somewhere, me going from being blob number five, row three, to, oh, she's got that accent, he's from that country. The personalities get acquired and worn, put on like a mask. But why should that change anything that's radically true? It's just picking up our mask and doing our human thing. I often like the experience of traveling on planes all by myself. No traveling companions. Because I can stop being Ajahn Amaro for a few hours. Just 27C. It's a relief. Then when you get to the other end and people meet you, then you become Ajahn Amaro or Joseph. <clears throat> whatever your persona happens to be uh, represented as, you put it back on again. But isn't it restful to be able to put it down, to not be that story, to not be that particular thing? 
not because we hate it or resent it, but because that helps us to keep it in perspective. Oh, there isn't really an Ajahn Amaro, it's just what people believe. The perceptions gather and create this person, this story. This particular set of roles and judgments, approvals and disapprovals. That these are just human agreements, designations. As Lumpur Cha would say, we, we designate things into existence. Becomes a kettle because we call it a kettle. From its own side, it isn't anything. It's not a, it's not a kettle. It just is what it is. But we give it a name and we relate to it through its functions in terms of the human world. But from its own side, it is exactly what it is. The kettling is something the human mind adds to it. When an ant crawls onto a kettle, it's looking for food, it's looking for a mate, it's looking for its anthill. It doesn't think kettle. I would presume. We designate ourselves, other people, into existence. If we remember this, then it becomes much easier to be a person. You can live in your story. Much easier to be with other people. You can appreciate their stories, painful past, Difficult conflicts, delightful moments, sweet contacts, but without carrying it around, without just meeting your collection of judgments, perceptions. The heart knows there's more than that. The world is bigger than that. We're not just our stories. We're not just the scripts that we follow in speaking with each other, relating with each other, being the parent, being the child, being the ajahn, being the student, being the boss. When we remember these are just masks, just designated into being, the world gets a lot more spacious. At least from uh, how I experience it. It also changes the way that we relate to our own story, our own body, our own mind. If we realize that the habits of self-view are just convenient fictions, well, you call it Ajahn Amro, Call it Joseph, Ajahn Bodhipala. You call it that, but 
It's just a name. It's just a convenient way of speaking, a way to get on with each other, sit in the appropriate places. That's all. As Ajahn Chah said, we, we have names because it would be really difficult to go around just calling everybody person. Could you come over here, person? Forty people turn around. So we call each other Susan, John, Sarah. Out of convenience. But when we remember these are just fictions, there's a freedom there. The things of this world are merely conventions of our own creation. Having established them, we get lost in them, giving rise to all kinds of trouble and confusion. When we remember that they're conventions, designations, agreements, then it's a lot easier to work with. the way we judge ourselves, the way we judge others, the way we judge the world around us. We find we can make choices far more based on what is going to be beneficial for ourselves, for others, for the world, rather than out of habit, bias, fear, aversion, desire. Choices are guided by mindfulness and wisdom rather than what I always like, how I think it should be. So as we start talking, engage with each other, you can watch the world come into being. When I first arrived at Wat Pananachat, and that uh, there's a hairy hippie off the beach, I had a feeling I was going to be there for a long time. This very strong intuitive sense that this was a good fit. But I knew nothing about Buddhism, I'd never read a Buddhist book. I thought the Buddha was Chinese for the first five, <coughs> five months I was at Nanachat. I thought, why do all the Buddha images look Indian? And I made that comment one day while we were cleaning the shrine and the other novice who was cleaning it with me said, because he was Indian. <laughs> I said, no, he wasn't. He was from China. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Always being ready to be an authority on things I don't really know about. So he gave me that hairy eyeball look like, no, the Buddha was from northern India, born in Nepal and lived in the Ganges Valley. He was not from China. I knew nothing. Didn't, never heard of Theravada or Mahayana. Only heard of Ajahn Chah the day before. There's uh, doctors, the, the <coughs> house where the doctors lived in, Uborn there. It was a nurse who told me about what Nanachat. Delighting in the glorious name of Delia Sparrowhawk. Fine old English name. She was the one who said, Oh, yeah, the, the abbot's there. He's an American. I think he's called Propacalung. 
<laughs> Even wrote it down for me. Propakalung. Wasn't quite right, but close enough. I knew nothing. I had this sense I was going to stay there. And so, along with that feeling of, I think I'm going to be staying here, there was this intuition. You can now watch a world come into being. And I'd seen that happen before. When I began at uh, my secondary school, or began at university, you don't know the names of the buildings, you don't know the people, you don't know the departments, you don't know the subjects. And then over weeks and months, you acquire the whole landscape. You learn the ropes, you pick up the judgments. Start to believe in all the local s stories and the mores, the standards of the, of the place and the crowd that you move with. So I had this very clear feeling, I can now watch a world come into being. And sure enough, within six months, this Ajahn is good, that Ajahn is really bad, Theravada is good, Mahayana is deluded. But then in the background, there was this memory. Six months ago, I never even heard of Ajahn Chah, or Ajahn Mahabur, or Ajahn Tate. I'd never heard of forest monks, city monks. Never even read a Buddhist book. Nothing. So I could compare my acquired judgments and so-called knowledge against this completely blank slate. So when I recollected, well, six months ago, there was no value system. Now you're so sure that this is good, that's bad, this is right, that's wrong. You know, a good monk should, a good monk should not. So all of those shoulds and shouldn'ts, what I want to be, what I don't want to be, how I want to be seen, how I don't want to be seen, were all against that blank screen, like the nada sound ringing in the background as I speak. Yeah, there are the words, there's the feelings of the body, the light of the morning, but in the background there's that continuous, edgeless, silvery sound, the screen against which all the projections of the mind are, are played, the screen of the the, uh, the documentary was played on last night. How many of us remember the screen? We're busy looking at those uh, unwrinkled young characters on the, uh, in the light show, in the play of light on the, on the background. But the screen was there all the time. If we're astute, thoughtful, mindful, we remember this is all being played on a screen. This is just uh, patterns of light and sound. The light changes, somebody pulls a curtain across. <laughs> 
We can have an opinion. We like, we don't like. But we can remember the, the nada carries on regardless. We can remember that openness, that stillness, that silence that's always in the background as our personality, our actions, our choices, our preferences arise, take shape, do their thing. It keeps it all in a context. We can do that. So as we start to engage and the personalities get put back on, we swap our stories, gather our bits and pieces, prepare for our journeys and say our goodbyes. See if you can re recollect that. To sustain that awareness of the, the stillness within which all the flowing is taking place. To remember these are just a collection of designations conjured into being. I found that extraordinarily helpful to have that reflection from arriving at Nanachad in that way. Whenever my mind would get enthusiastic or critical, it's like, well, six months ago, none of this had any meaning. You had no concept of Theravada, Mahayana, Ajahn this or Ajahn that didn't exist. It did not exist. Now it's this important thing. So that importance, apparent, tangible, exists against that background of no thingness, the unformed, the unborn. Therefore it keeps it in a context. So I think it was one of the reasons I was able to feel at home because I had no preconceptions. I didn't come to the forest in order to be a monk for the rest of my life. I just came for a couple of days to see what the this monastery thing was that uh, I just heard about. Just passing through. Just passing through. Just two or three days. So it made it much easier than the ones who'd I've given up everything, I've come here to be a monk for the rest of my life <laughs> but had all sorts of preconceptions when they found out that they couldn't keep their own stash of chocolate back on the plane back to Switzerland <laughs> <laughs> or with great horror they find that Ajahn Chahs choose betel nut how can an arahant chew betel nut? It's disgusting. Smoke cigarettes. What? Or that the villagers would offer you a curry made of red ants with great devotion. There's ants in this. Yes. We can't undo the expectations that might be there, or the habits, but we can know these are just habits. 
these people, these stories, the collection of characters in our particular drama. We can remember these are just players. As Shakespeare put it in that uh, soliloquy from uh, The Tempest. You know, all our actors were merely spirits and are dissolved into air, into thin air. We, when we remember that, it's all come from no thing, then it's so much easier to be part of it, to enjoy it, to mingle in and to delight in it. When you have a whole set of expectations and judgments and opinions you believe in, then all, all kinds of things are offending your judgments, disappointing your expectations upsetting your opinions, gratifying this one, frustrating that one. When you have no expectations, you put your judgments aside, or you at least recognize, well, these are just judgments, habits. The world gets a lot bigger, spacious suddenly free of arguments, free of contention, wrangling, quarreling. A lot of wrongness disappears. When we uh, end this session this morning and people gather for breakfast together and uh, I don't like to call it breaking noble silence but rather installing noble speech <laughs> I realize that's merely a concept but uh, I would suggest it's a useful concept but it's also an exercise can we as we engage meet each other, encounter each other's masks, pick up the stories of our lives, can we sustain that quality of stillness? Can we remember? Can the heart attune itself to its own reality? Unborn, undying, the reality of this moment. Utterly real, completely non-personal. Exactly who we are, but absolutely no thing. It's mysterious, like the Buddha described it himself. The Tathagata is profound, immeasurable, unfathomable. That's talking about 
the quality of your own heart. It's not just an idealized being who lived two and a half thousand years ago. It's describing our own nature. It's absolutely the most real thing there is, but it's absolutely non-describable, profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, like the ocean. So then we'll see. Just as in this moment we can see, how is it in the silence of the morning, sitting still, being together, sheltered, an environment of sanctuary? Can we wake up to that quality here? And if so, can it be sustained? as things get more mobile, colourful, loud. How could the sense objects fundamentally obscure the Dhamma itself? It can mask it, but it can't remove it. So the task is to see if that can be realised. Can we sustain that? Embody that. And we'll find out.